that did not get your attention, we cannot help you today. Keith, let's just do the Isaiah passage today, if you would, please. Thank you. Um, We are turning today to Isaiah 58, a a critical passage in 3rd Isaiah. And to begin with today, I want to read you something that was suggested as a call to worship for today. It's written by Brett Younger, who is um, uh, an associate professor. And he suggests that we all hear this this day. We hope you're not planning to go through the motions in worship today, singing the songs but never engaging your hearts, hearing scripture but not listening to God, or giving an offering but not giving yourselves. Because if so, you are not doing God any favors. You do not get points for attendance. If you really worship God today, then you will share with the poor, listen to the lonely, and stop avoiding those in need. Friends, hear now the words from Isaiah 58, starting at the first chapter. Shout out, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Announce to my people their rebellion, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet day after day they seek me and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that practiced righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask me righteous judgment. They delight to draw near to God. Why do we fast, but you do not see? Why do we humble ourselves, but you do not notice? Look, you serve your own interests on your fast day, and oppress all your workers. Look, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to strike with a wicked fist. Such fasting as you do today will not make your voice heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose? A day to humble oneself? Is it to bow down the head like a bulrush and to lie in sackcloth and ashes? Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share the bread, your bread, with the hungry, and bring the homeless poor into your house, when you see the naked, to cover them? And not to hide yourself from your own kin. Then your light shall break forth like dawn and your healing shall spring up quickly. Your vindicator shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry for help and he will say, here I am. If you remove the yoke from among you, pointing of the finger, the speaking of evil. 
If you offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness and your gloom be like the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your needs in parched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters never fall, fail. Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets to live in. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So years ago, when I was in seminary school, I had a professor with a very thick Dutch accent. She taught Hebrew Bible, and she would say one of the themes of the prophet Isaiah, and in fact, all the biblical prophets, is that your worship don't mean nothing if you ain't living right. Seeing this 70-something-year-old Dutch woman say that always has stuck with me. Your worship don't mean nothing if you ain't living right. And today that is the theme of this text in Isaiah 58. I think it would behoove us to spend some time unpacking it. The text today is clear. The people in Isaiah's congregation are really, really good churchgoers. They want to come to worship, regardless of what time their tea time is. They're coming to church. They want to be closer to God. And yet the prophet, speaking for God, is blasting their practice of fasting. The people are fasting regularly, willingly, and faithfully, but the prophet is clear that their fasting don't mean nothing if they ain't living right. People are fasting not only to be seen by their friends and their neighbors, but to be seen by God. They are engaged in a ritual to please God. Now, that seems right to us, right? That sounds like a good thing. After all, that's why we come here. But as you can see in this text, the prophet is clear that praise and prayer and fasting are not supposed to be techniques for drawing attention to its human participants. But they are to be seen as gifts to nurture the covenant relationship, which is the notion that we are God's and God will care for us. Because we are God's people through the goodness of God and only through the goodness of God, we have an obligation to the people around us. The fast that Isaiah insists the Lord desires is outreach to those in need. And that includes feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, 
caring for one's own, as well as addressing the attitudes and structures responsible for injustices. True fasting involves dealing with those conditions, situations and people that are ethically corrupting and corrupted for the sake of the oppressed individual and for the common good. In today's text, God does not reject, but insists that the practice of fasting and any religious ritual, for that matter, be transformative to the whole community. Isaiah here offers instructions on a new kind of fasting. One that being with it comes four personal blessings. New life, healing, security, and a free-flowing relationship with God. As one seeking God responds to the needs of another, so God will respond to the one who seeks. In other words, your worship only means something if you're truly living right. Worship is the most important thing we do together as a community of faith. Our whole lives should center around the worship of our God. But don't miss this. Worship should affect the way we live, not just on Sundays, but Monday through Saturday as well. And therefore, worship should always affect change, not just in our individual lives, but in the community around us. We have as a church been engaged since I have come here in a process of trying to shape a vision for what we would like to do and be in the next three to five to ten years. One of the things that we have is a list of five values that we as a congregation can claim. They're things like, we welcome. We think. We love. And one is that we worship. And I, since I was the one who was writing it, added, we worship radically. And when that came before the session, they all said, Yee, that's not right. Got to take that out of there. And let me tell you that they were right in what they were thinking, because a mission statement not only is a vision for us and what we want to do, but it's also a vision that says to those outside these walls, this is who we are, and when you come here, this is what you can expect to find. And when they heard, we worship radically, they rightly heard that someone might read that and think, 
we're snake handlers. Or people are jumping around here and falling out on the floor in the Holy Spirit. Or any kind of other weird thing that you can think of that people do in worship. See, that radical in some people's minds might just be about worship style and practice. And radical worship style and practice can look pretty weird to us staid and proper Presbyterians. But as we were having that conversation, it disturbed me that we didn't want to say that our worship was radical. And I couldn't figure out why until, to, until I started to work on this. Worship of all kinds is radical by definition. Radical because if it's done right, it refuses to allow us to be hypocrites by closing the gap between religiosity and the care of people. Your worship only means something if you are living right. That is a radical concept. Keeping your distance from God will only lead you to keeping your distance from God's people. But if you embrace a worship joined with Christian discipleship, it will include caring for the hurting and make no mistake that this text is abundantly clear. That you will be blessed. Another professor named Carol Dempsey, who's at the University of Portland, says this. In some, the community's responsiveness to one another has a direct effect on how God will respond to the community. Isaiah instructs his listeners that they live out a life of love in accordance with the Torah. God will answer them when they call. Theologically, Isaiah's proclamation heralds a vision of worship that must exceed faithfulness to external practices and rituals. Isaiah redefines worship as lived experience of being in right relationship with one another and with God, made manifest through ethical practice, rooted in and flowing from divine love, which demands justice, righteousness, and compassion. Your worship only means something if you're living right. May it be so for each one of us. Amen.